this week on The Inswinger. For a team like Newcastle to be so restricted in the money they can, can and can't spend doesn't sit right with me when you see a team like Man City and Chelsea. There's not a connection between the fans and the players, nor the manager. I don't think this time next year, Eric Ten Hag will be Man United's manager. It's so flawed, in my opinion. I think, how can you have a competitive league if some teams can spend so much more than others? All right, welcome back to Season 3, Episode 15 of the Instagram Podcast. I'm Charlie DiMatteo, joined by... Harrison McGlashan. Uh, and we are back at, for the second time here in London. We've been to a few games now. We're going to start with the first game we went to. That was l- nearby uh, in Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. It was the West London Derby between Chelsea and Fulham. Chelsea edged out a narrow 1-0 victory at Harrison. I mean, it was a pretty flat game, a pretty flat crowd, which I want to touch on in the general vibe of Chelsea at the moment. But just for starters... The performance, Chelsea picked up a win, not easy to come by, especially by their standards this year. What did you make of it? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a similar story uh, to previous games where I've watched them where they do create some chances, uh, but they are lacking the quality to finish those chances off. And and that was the case uh, two weekends ago now. Um, I thought, you know, a few bright sparks, again, the usual suspects, Cole Palmer, who got the goal, uh, he showed good composure from the penalty spot, but even him, he squandered a few chances when, when we were there at Stamford Bridge. So, you know, I mean, there's, <laughs> there's really just not a lot of um, bright spots in the team right now. Gallagher, Chelsea fans seem to be attached to, but again, like, you know, th- he's a good player. He presses well. I think he suits what Potch wants to do. But, you know, he's not the most, uh, you know, gifted player out there. So, you know, you look at the guys they have spent money on. Enzo, people are getting frustrated with. We've, we witnessed all this firsthand, right? Caicedo, I think he's growing into the role a little bit. But again, they're just, where's the attacking quality, right? We've talked about the, the figures and the money spent and all that. And I look at the team and, and you know, Sterling, you know, yes, he's a good player. We, we know he can score goals, but consistency kind of an issue there Cole Palmer uh has been excellent but again other than from the penalty spot uh struggles with end product a little bit so that's always going to be an issue for them uh is it going to come with time I think hopefully I think that has to be um the hope for Chelsea right that these players like Modric and Palmer and Jackson are, are going to develop and are and are going to start scoring more goals uh Jackson obviously was absent um, at AFCON for, for the game. Um, I thought Brogia was poor, really. I, I just don't think he's good enough. I think he can play in the Premier League, but for a team like Chelsea, I don't think he's good enough. So the striker position obviously is a concern. Um, and then you look at the back and, you know, Thiago Silva uh, still there. I think they need him there just because he's a leader. There aren't any leaders in the team. You know, I mean, Reese James is the captain. He's never fit. Connor Gallagher uh, usually takes on the armband, but again, is is in his, what, second or third full season in a Chelsea shirt. So there's just not a lot of experience. Uh, Levi Colwell, I'm sure you want to get onto him. Playing at left back, I think, is a frustration. Um, I think he's such a talented player, Colwell, but at left back, I'm not sure that's his best his best role. Um, so it's a bit of a shoehorning him in maybe there from Pochettino and, and on the manager, I think questions are starting to be asked of, of this, you know, of the manager, because, you know, we know what Chelsea fans are like. We know they're used to success. Uh, we know they want to see a team that plays 
Um, I mean, not even the most attractive football. They want to see a team that obviously wins, but I just think they're not, there's not a connection uh, between the fans and the players, nor the manager. And I think you really need that to be a, a successful team, even if, I mean, you look at Fulham, right? They played against Fulham. And Fulham didn't play that well. They lost the game. Their fans were singing the whole game because they're bought into what the manager's doing and where the club's going. Fulham are going to finish mid-table this year comfortably. Um, but you know what? They, they're, they're not the best side to watch. They play a decent football from time to time. But the fans are bought in. And I think that's so important. And that is the and Chelsea is the opposite right now. They're, they're just two totally different pages. Even though they won the game, the atmosphere was flat. The fans were frustrated the whole time or with, with every single player. Yeah, that's what I want to get into. It's just, it, um, it's, a, it's a bit of a mess. Even though they won, it, it wasn't a positive no. day. Now, the thing with Chelsea, you could talk about their issues in terms of playing staff or coaching staff all day long, like you just spoke about. But I think the big thing here is there's a disconnect between the fans and the team, and there's no sort of unity in the club that gives me any sense of confidence that they're going to get any kind of momentum because like you said you have to have the fans on side they need to be a part of it and they, they need to be bought in right now they're not uh and for good reason because it just seems like it's 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 one step forward two steps back whenever they seem to get any kind of momentum on the field something happens off of it and the fans they don't want to you know give Pochettino time and you have guys playing out of position but just the general vibe of, che vibe of Chelsea is at an all-time low right now and I think until that gets sorted uh who knows if it even will be sorted with Poch at the helm there doesn't seem to be like a lot of leeway that's going to be given there um but yeah Chelsea a mess as we spoke about all year and off the field definitely big issues uh, moving on to another game that happened that weekend. It was a cracker of a game, Newcastle 2, Man City 3. Uh, this was really an impressive showing for both teams, to be fair. City edged it out thanks to the brilliance of Kevin De Bruyne. First game back off the bench, um, popped up with a goal and an assist. It was Oscar Bob, the youngster, who got the winner. But Newcastle, I think, can also take something away from this game because... Um, in recent weeks, Newcastle have really struggled to hit the peaks they got last year. And in glimpses, they were able to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Man City. And yes, it was De Bruyne. He was the difference maker, as he always tends to be. But I think if you want to get into Eddie Howe, there are questions over Eddie Howe. But I think the more context you look at their general situation and where they're expected to be or where they were expected to be and where they actually are now... You have to give him time um, because Newcastle looked competitive against a really good Man City team and they just didn't have enough. And in recent weeks, it hasn't looked that way. Um, and with injuries and with financial fair play issues coming into it, I still think Newcastle are on the right track. And for Man City, I mean, De Bruyne is back. Holland's coming back. This is the kind of win that wins you league titles. It's as simple as that. At St. James's, uh, punch in the face, that went one up, down 2-1, come back to win at 3-2. I mean, it just has all the hallmarks of a usual Pep City team. Yeah, I mean, De Bruyne a masterclass. I think he's a, a Premier League great, no doubt about that. Um, yeah, I mean, for Newcastle, uh, I thought they scored two great goals on the counterattack. I thought really good finishes. Um, I mean, they were second best, uh, as as most teams who face City are. Let's you know, let's put that right. The score maybe is a bit deceiving because uh, I thought City dominated the game. Um, I mean, regarding Eddie Howe, I, I would agree with you. I think I think he I, I still think he has so much credit in the bank for what he did last season and the season before. Yeah. I think he's done so well, really. I, I think he deserves at least till the end of the season, probably the start of next season, at least. And that's just my opinion. I know people will disagree. 
Um, but you look at Newcastle and, you know, do they, if they, let's just say they go for a blockbuster name and they want to win now. I don't think they do, by the way. I think they will stick with Howe. But Newcastle are not one of the big six teams. And that hinders them financially because we know how these profit and sustainability rules work, right? You, the more money you generate, the more you can spend. Newcastle do not generate what City, United, Chelsea, Arsenal, Spurs, etc. do. That's that's just a fact. They're not as big a club. Uh, they don't have as big a fan base. They don't sell as many kits. Uh, they got a great stadium. They have a great team at the moment, um, but they're not at that level financially. So FFP, PSR is always going to be an issue for them. And I think that's the problem with the rule, which I know is a whole different discussion. But I think even if you bring in uh, a, uh, you know, a big managerial name, right, to take you to the next level, you don't have the spending power and you need the spending power to compete with Man City and, and, and Liverpool. And, you know, even even you look at United, right? They spent so much money, more than City, and they're still crap, right? So you can you need at least that amount uh, to, to really go to the next level. I mean, Chelsea, again, like had to spend a lot uh, and, and are still struggling. So um Liverpool are, are a good example, right? They, they've spent money well and, and they have the right guy in charge uh, and recruitment. And I think Newcastle have pieces in place. I think the recruitment department has done a good job. Uh, you know, Ashworth and, and co um, seem to have a, have a vision uh, that's working at the moment. I know they're in a bit of a period and they're mid table right now, but I'm still bought into the project. I think the fans are like we mentioned with Chelsea. I think there's a connection between the fans, the manager and the players. Uh, so I don't worry about them too much. I think, yeah, maybe they miss out on Europe this season. Uh, but if they get, you know, their 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 squad fit again, um, I know Joe Linton, big injury, but, you know, Isak is back. Um, Wilson, if he stays, which I, I saw him linked, I think he was linked away this week, but I'd be shocked if that happens. Almiron might go. But again, here's another thing, right? Saudi Arabia. Now they might have Saudi Arabia to bail them out of financial trauma if they need to ship off an Almiron. And that's so sketchy. And I think we've been here before with like, teams chelsea when this summer it was this summer when chelsea were offloading koulibaly and uh who else for ridiculous money ziek um for money to balance out their balance sheets i don't like that i mean it's it's, it's pretty obvious that the saudis own newcastle and how can you have the saudi league it does, i don't like it i it really stinks. don't like it it stinks but you bring up some good points there in terms of with when it comes to financial fair play the damage has already been done when it comes to teams like Man City and Chelsea. And we're going to see if these 115 charges lead to anything. But for now, the Premier League to come down so hard on teams like Everton, potentially Forest, and now Newcastle preventing Newcastle from spending the money they clearly have, it's rotten because it's like, well, they were first to the party, so that makes it okay. And if it doesn't, you better you better punish them accordingly because if we're meant to believe that everything's 10 point punishment maybe even more is warranted then whatever man city did surely warrants something even greater um but for a team like newcastle to be so just restricted and the money they can can and can't spend doesn't sit right with me when you see a team like man city and chelsea profiting off of the ridiculous money spent before ffp was around right exactly and that's the problem with the system um, I think, you know, you can look at the punishment given out to Everton. We, we've discussed that at length, but just looking at the rules, uh, it, it doesn't work because it keeps the big six at the top. And if that's what the Premier League wants, then that's what they're getting. And I think there's a conversation to be had there um, and questions to be asked of Richard Masters, uh, the, the CEO. Mm -hmm. 
because it's just it, it's so flawed in my opinion i think how can you have a competitive league if some teams can spend so much more than others you know i i get it i get the idea right that you need to restrict spending you don't want another man city or just you know shakes coming in and buying the team and taking them right to the top right it shouldn't be that straightforward but this isn't the way either because you can't how can everton how can forest how can newcastle compete if they can't spend the money we can't just spawn fans in china out of midair and get more revenue right that doesn't happen so you have to do it so uh shrewdly like brighton um who have just gotten their recruitment spot on but think about you know brighton have made big sales and everything i mean but neither of us think brighton are going to be a big six team like they've done well they might push europe Mm -hmm. but they can't get to that level uh, and they've rec- and they've and they've been a, an example of of you know the, the how the systems worked I guess with recruitment and everything right uh, but still they they I don't think they'll compete so Newcastle yeah I mean I think I, I hope at least I hope uh, you know the other fourteen clubs will start to um, put pressure on the Premier League and say uh, you know th- this system needs looking at because it's just I, I just don't think it's fair and I think you have to look at you know one thing I'll credit the American sports for doing is, is salary caps. Cause I just think it levels the playing field, right? Because you, you won't have, um, you know, teams, uh, offering up stupid contracts, right. To just attract, uh, the best players, the teams with the most money can do that. I, I just think that doesn't sit well with me either. Um, and maybe, maybe a transfer spending cap. So everybody can spend the same amount. I, I just think it needs looking at, um, it's a whole nother conversation. Maybe we'll, we'll get into on some other big, bigger picture episodes, but, yeah, I mean, concerns for Newcastle uh, financially, but I think on the pitch, they're still on the right track. Yep, uh, another game, I think it was the following weekend, actually, uh, United Spurs, that was at Old Trafford. Spurs kind of rounding back into form that we saw earlier in the year. United really still struggling to pick up any semblance of consistency. It was a great game, though. Great game for the neutral. Started off with a great goal from Hoyland. Seems to finally be hitting his stride. Rashford got on the score sheet um, again, as did Richarlison. And I think it was Benton Crew who got the second one for Spurs. Good to see him back fit and firing. Um, I think the takeaways from this game is you have two teams who have very distinct styles of play. Not, or in, 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 you certainly is, have one team. You have one team. Sorry, let me rephrase that. You have two managers here in Eric Ten Hag and Ange Postacoglu who are trying to implement a philosophy. One has succeeded superbly in a very short period of time with not a crazy amount of money spent. The other in Eric Ten Hag has spent a boatload of money and not gotten anywhere near the success in translating his philosophy onto the field. And you saw that point in case in this game the game started spurs were on the front foot it was really against the run of play that united got a goal everything was coming from the counterattack for them their midfield had no control over the game and this isn't a spurs team who has like a dominating six i don't even i think it was hoiberg who played Hoiberg's a good player so is bentinker but you know to dominate the midfield so easily there's just something missing in that united midfield is it casemiro maybe but i do think there's something else wrong there whereas tactically Ten Hag wants to play this direct counterattack, but he kind of wants his center backs to play it out from the back. And there's just a mishmash here, which we've talked about so many times. But I think the conversation now comes back to look at Ange. Look what Ange did in a short space of time with, yes, some new players, but he also improved existing ones. And does Eric Ten Hag deserve more criticism for what he has not been able to do in the time he's been at United? And some of the 
players he's wanted to bring in or has brought in and it just hasn't worked and why is that and i think you have to i i tend to give more credit to Ange than discrediting ten hog if that makes sense like i look at what Ange done is really really impressive something that not a lot of managers can do and hey ten hog you couldn't do it you're not the first United, won't be the last. But this was a perfect demonstration of a manager who has been able to develop his players and adapt them in a way that plays exciting, entertaining, and for the most part, effective football when everyone's fit. Van de Ven, Romero, both back. Without them, it's been a struggle. And Ten Hag and United just squandering chances when they got them, but there was nothing there in terms of a distinct style of play. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I think on United, I think it's more of the same, really. I think some good pits of play uh with hoyland and and with rashford uh you know especially for the goals but they can't put a 90 minute performance together that that's my big takeaway from united this season i thought against everton my team i thought they were excellent for 15 minutes uh they scored a great goal but then everton were the better team i know they won that game but i i just i'm not really bought into the game plan i'm not quite sure what the game plan in i i think I think there's a problem. I mean, let's take Rashford, for example, right? The Rashford problem, right? Here's a guy who, when he's not scoring goals, what is he doing, right? Because he's not good in the press. He doesn't track back. On the other side, Garnacho does both of those things really well. And, and I think, uh, you know, he's having a good season and is just offering something different. Um, and, and I look at Ten Hag and I'm like, is he going to coach this guy to do what he wants? Because... You know, you can still be an effective player without being a brilliant finisher. And Rashford at the moment isn't at all. I, I just think, I think there, he's a talented player, no doubt. He can score goals. But when he's not, I just don't think he's offering enough. And I look at the, the coach and the coaching staff and I, I'm like, you got to get something out of this guy. That That is part of a manager's job is to manage players and to improve players. Moving on to Ange, that's exactly what he's done. Mm-hmm. Like we all looked at Spurs at the start of the season and thought, a lot of these guys are not going to uh, be able to play the way he wants to play. And it's been the opposite. I mean, he's got Hoybier, a sort of de- uh, destructive midfielder playing in this system and doing a good job. Um, Skip, you know, I mean, there was a totally different midfield three, like you said, and they bossed the game. So, you know, it's an injury riddled team at Spurs and it's the same philosophy. Uh, and, and they're brilliant to watch no matter who's playing. And United, you know, not everybody has to do that. I get it. Like there are different ways of playing. And I think Ten Hag, uh, I think his original plan, uh, and I think you could see that from the first two games of the of last season, uh, was to play the way he played at Ajax. And I think he quickly realized that it wasn't going to work uh, in the Premier League with his team. And I think over the summer, I, I think they had a good season last year, obviously won the Carabao Cup, um, playing uh, you know more of a counterattacking way of playing, more direct, um, more energy, more of, you know, reminiscent of the way Sir Alex kind of used to play, obviously nowhere near to the level, but I think he looked at sort of previous United teams that were successful in the previous era. And he thought, let me try to recreate that and recreate that feeling. Um, and I think he had some success with that. And over the summer, I just think he thought, let me just stick with this. Cause it kind of worked. And this season it, it's obviously been, been a train wreck. So I'm not sure where I think he'll get to the end of the season from there where do you go? Do you try to uh, work with the new footballing uh, staff above you, the recruitment staff, and bring in guys who can play the way Ajax played? Or do you try to sell the vision of the United of old, 
right? The way Sir Alex used to play and try to bring something reminiscent of that. So, you know, I, I don't know what the right answer is, really. I, I, I thought for sure that slowly but surely uh, he was going to get to the way we know he wanted to play. Um, but I'm not seeing any signs of that, really. Yeah, last thing uh, I'll say on United, I don't think you're... One big prediction. I don't think this time next year, Eric Ten Hag will be Man United's manager. The more I'm seeing from Ineos and Jim Ratcliffe and their new CEO who's coming from Man City are lots of vibes like, hey, this regime has not done it. We're going to bring in our own people, our own ideas. I think it starts with the manager next. I There's nothing that Ten Hag has shown me this year that's like that will make it impossible for Ineos to to keep him on to not keep him on like nothing he's done has been super convincing so if you're Ineos and you're building Manchester United back from the ground up why wouldn't you bring in a new manager because clearly he hasn't set the world alight I know it was a pretty promising first season but the longer these days goes on and the more Jim Ratcliffe gets involved and Ineos gets involved at Manchester United I have a hard time believing Eric Ten Hag is the long-term manager for United and I'm also not sure that you know, the way Sir Alex used to play is the way to play nowadays. I mean, you look at, I think United um, fans are probably jealous of Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool and the way they play. And the way they've, and, and the way they've adapted. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's what I was going to say is, you know, Klopp, Klopp's team this year isn't necessarily, isn't really anywhere near um, the team he had the first year in terms of the way they play and the high energy and the pressing and all that. I mean, there's still elements of that. Uh, but they're much more possession-based. Everybody's doing this inverted fullback thing. So even Jurgen Klopp has adapted, right? Pep, Deserbi, you look, uh, Pasta Coglu, you know, They're all doing, I mean, they're all different, of course, but you know what I mean, right? The style of play is, I think, under the same umbrella. Um, and I think that is kind of the way forward. Arteta, another example, right? Similar kind of thing, possession-based. Um, Pep's team has obviously gotten more physical. They're adapting, et cetera. But possession-based football is played at the top level, right? Counterattacking football is not necessarily um, going to win you the league in the Premier League. I remember we've talked about this on previous episodes. Like, that is was that really the vision? I thought the vision was going to be Ajax because they were brilliant to watch, um, great style of play, Cruyffism, all this stuff. We haven't seen it this season. So, I mean, <laughs> Postacoglu, again, from day one, has played his way. Ten Hag, we still don't even know what his way is. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we've said that you know a thousand times, and until we see some consistency, we'll probably continue to say it. Um, moving on, though, I want to touch on Brentford and Nottingham Forest. Brentford, uh, for a couple reasons, one being Ivan Tony back in the lineup after eight months being suspended for breach of betting regulations. Brentford and Forest, this is a big game at the bottom of the table, really. Two teams who probably would have had a bit higher expectations at the beginning of the season, Brentford, I think, especially, and Forest. Um, and neither has really found any consistency. When discussing the relegation picture last week, both these teams came up in conversation, and I think the X factor really was Ivan Tony. and if his goals, if he was to stay at Brentford, his goals would probably keep them up. He scored a free kick. There was some mischievous uh, involved in it, uh, or mischievous activity involved in it, and shuffling the ball up from a free kick. But... Can I, is Ivan Tony enough for Brentford to steer them clear of the relegation battle? Yeah, I think he is. I think he is. I, I think he's, I rate him highly. Um, I think <laughs> it's funny the way he talks though, isn't it? About, uh, he always alludes to, he's desperate to get out of there. 
to yeah exactly to, to a big move and then playing for a big club um i think he will get the move in the summer but yeah i i think the the, the guy's classy he's gonna i think he'll steer them well clear i mean even i mean to be fair to thomas frank he's even got neil mope scoring goals which uh, i thought i'd never see the day so um yeah brentford uh and, and tony I, I think they'll be fine I, I remember saying it last week um but i i have to say I thought the the free kick goal was was very cheeky, and I thought it was. Uh, I I don't like it. I think I think it should have been called back. I mean, there's no VAR ruling on that. Like, if here's the thing: the refs don't have a rule right in their head, then they're never gonna like adapt and and give it. So you know, he's he's gotten away with it. Um, but I, I don't think that should really count in in the modern game. I just think it's deceiving the referee. It's no different to diving for me. I mean. It, you think about it, he's given himself a, a way better chance of scoring obviously um for for me it's no different than moving the ball up a yard and uh, from the penalty spot i mean i i just i really didn't like it i i think but i also looking at forest why didn't they put up a bigger yeah. fuss at the time like you saw him do it he was moving the foam <laughs> like it was really i mean it was i mean it was pretty blatant yeah. um and the forest players were you know i, I would have thought they would have been all over that but um yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that was a rehearsed thing where Jensen goes over to the ref and distracts him. Tony comes in and moves the, you know, obviously I'm speculating, but yeah, I, I think I think that was really cheeky. I, I'd be fuming if I was if I was Nuno and 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 Forrest because I, I just I just don't think that should be allowed. But people may disagree. Yeah, and that's not the first of some questionable decisions. I want to get into this West Ham Sheffield United game. Uh, we were on our way back from Prague and. Flight got delayed, missed the game, but I landed to a flurry of raging West Ham tweets, and I soon found out why. Um, in this game, West Ham were shafted on multiple decisions by the referee late in the game that had huge ramifications. First one came, we're up 2-1, 90th minute added time. Cross comes in, and Alphonse Areola goes for the ball, as does Ollie McBurney. They collide. McBurney goes elbow first, and you can see... On an Instagram post, Ariola is left with a bloody lip. It's a 50-50. Referee not only doesn't call the foul on McBurney for elbowing Ariola, but gives Sheffield United a penalty. And that was a bad call. It was a 50-50 call. We see it sometimes with these weird goalie calls and whatever. That's a bad call. The next one was even worse. After that penalty is scored, West Ham come down the other end. Ben Johnson, who actually had a great game coming off, off the bench and playing as a central defensive midfielder, who's a right back usually, had a great game, whipped in a ball for Bowen. Anil Ahelmsdich, the guy at the center back for Sheffield United, quite literally rugby tackles him in midair as Bowen is heading for the ball. And not only is not a penalty for West Ham called, they call the handball on Bowen as his arms are flailing in the air because he's being bear hugged by uh, the central defender. And after the game, the same guy on Instagram posted a screenshot of that tackle with the Randy Orton RKO music in the Instagram. Like, back. like even the players are making a mockery of these refs. And I could argue all the live long day about these crap calls and I took two points away from us. We weren't great on the day. Probably didn't deserve three points. Should have gotten it. But the moral of the story here is, and I, I saw this on Twitter um, from Jacob Steinberg, who is a, you know, a journalist for The Guardian. He said, you know, the referees simply don't know what to do without VAR. We saw it in West Ham's game against Bristol City in a red card that was not given against a tackle on Danny Ings, which clearly should have been not even a yellow was given. 
and when it comes to these Premier League games, they're relying on the, their buddies in the room to back them up, but they've done it so many times now that they lack any sort of conviction to take control of the game. And again, the same inconsistencies are popping up because even if he didn't call a penalty, how is that not looked at by VAR? for a clear and obvious error because it was clearly a foul and Mark Clattenburg who was covering the game for some uh, different network said it, it was not a foul on Areola because if you know Sheffield United and their players it's a tactic from Chris Wilder to get up in the keeper's face and, and get physical with them and it was not a, it was a clear penalty on Bowen the center back makes no attempt to play the ball it's a clear and obvious error it should have been a penalty so where was VAR there and you know that's a more generic conversation What's even more about VAR, what's even more telling is David Moyes' postgame was basically like, I, I can't talk about it because I'm going to get in trouble. And he basically said, you know, we're at a point now where it's just like, we're at a standard of refereeing where we just have to shrug our shoulders and say, okay, because it's how it is. There's just massive inconsistencies on a weekly basis. There doesn't seem to be any sort of system that keeps the referees accountable. Even when, I, I forget who it was, uh, Taylor, I think it was, who made a, a really poor decision in the... Uh, was it the Spurs game? Yeah, the Spurs-Liverpool game months ago. And he got sent out to the championship for like a week. And then he came back up and has been refereeing big games ever since. It's like, it's a slap on the wrist and no real change is, is coming about. And now West Ham, that point could be the difference between us qualifying for the Europa League or the Champions League or the Conference League of the Europa League. Or it could be one point keeping Sheffield United up. And it just, it stinks. Um, it, it reeks of just a, a failed system. And the refs aren't helping themselves because surely they'll have to look at this situation objectively and say we're doing something wrong here something's not quite right um and there has to be a better way to be more transparent with the teams with the coaches with the with the fans and the fa needs to have a real look and the pgmol and howard webb ha something has to change because it seems like different week different team this week it was west ham who got screwed yeah i mean it's no surprise right i mean we've talked about inconsistencies um it's a joke. I mean, I don't know why it hasn't been changed yet. If you can give a team a points deduction in the middle of the season, you can change the bloody handball rule or the, you know, VAR. I mean, it's nonsense. The whole clear and obvious thing has gone out the window. They're, they're, you're right. They're relying on it way too much. They're not ref. You got to referee the game first and foremost, in my opinion. And then VAR, if you made a big slip up, it's there. But that has gone completely out the window, and that was the idea initially. Now what you have is, you're right, they're relying on their buddies in the booth too much who are taking ages to, to come up with the decision when they do look at it, and for some reason aren't even looking at some uh, decisions. I mean, if you're looking at one thing, you got to look at everything, right? I mean, if, if you're going down that route where we want to just be perfect and we're, we're looking at every decision. So it's just, it's so, so inconsistent. And I can't believe that they haven't looked at it and done a, a mid-season uh, you know, or even at the beginning of this season. I and mean, we know this has been a problem for yes. years. I mean, how has it not been? I know it fixed isn't the right word because I get it. It's a working progress, but you've got to look at it. You really have to. It's just, it's not right. There's so, there's so many things, right? The, the pushing and shoving in the box is, is given and then not given. Uh, the, the handball, what's a natural position, unnatural position? That's a load of nonsense because I see handballs given every other week uh, where a player is protecting his face or, or it, it's, a, it's a natural reaction or whatever. And I'm referencing the Onana one because that's off the top of my head. But I know it's happened to other teams and not happened to other teams um, or given to other teams. 
and it, it's just it's ridiculous in my opinion i don't know why they haven't just just make it make it clear and obvious for us and and they just I, they're just they're totally lost uh the the var's are, are lost the referees on the pitch are lost um they, when they go to the screen you know what's going to happen so what's the point i think only one time ever has he gone to the screen and not given it so it's it's ridiculous it's such a waste of time too uh it, it's it's painful for everyone in the stadium i'm sure uh, who's just who's just sitting there like what is going on? There's there's no uh, communication. Um, at least now we get some of the audio afterwards, but too little, too late. And then you've got Dermot Gallagher or Howard Webb or whoever from the freaking PGMOL or retired referees, whoever they are, uh, talk, backing up their buddies usually on Sky. It, it's ridiculous. I mean, I can't. I honestly can't stand it. I can't stand referees. Uh, the whole system. Why can't they just? I mean, somebody needs to swallow their pride and 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 fix these rules uh, especially the handball um offsides i'm i'm okay with at the moment i think you know it, it's fine margins but you you got to draw the line somewhere i would just honestly i would do the automated offsides that they had at the world cup yeah and and i'd be fine if they binned the rest of var because it's just taking away so much from the game um, and i know people will disagree and say you've got to keep it and and i get it and i was on that train and and I, and I agreed with um you know some of the stuff Deitra said it was like I'm, I'm i was a fan of var i think we needed it referees were making errors but you've mentioned it i've mentioned it there's still an element of human error there because it's still referees in the booth who are making these decisions and they're just going by a rule book that doesn't work um and it's just the whole system i agree with you is flawed it, it needs to be looked at because it's just it's taking way too long and the decisions that are coming out of this are, are just are just unfair i mean sometimes sometimes i'm looking at it and like it's a contact sport i mean i know that the bowen thing is kind of the opposite he's well that's the inconsistency right he's rugby tackle and hasn't yeah. even given it and sometimes he's gone like you know the calvert lewin one right which which got overturned rightly so you know he has he's hardly even touched the guy uh and, and he's given it a red card so it's like if you're it's like yes the tackle was bad but he didn't actually make the contact to warrant the red card so how is that his fault like he, he's avoided the danger like if yeah if he made full-on contact then i get it but he didn't so it's like oh my gosh it just drives me nuts as yeah. you can tell i mean i just i cannot stand it and you know every time they show these slow-mos and these replays and freeze frames that they're gonna give it and a slow refereeing a game off of a slow-mo you can make anything look bad you really, you really can, but in fast motion, it's a totally different story. So, it's just wrong. I think there needs to be a time limit too. I would bring in a time limit on these reviews. If you can't decide in thirty seconds, it's not clear and obvious. Mm -hmm. Boom! Like, why aren't we thinking the, of these ideas? Why isn't somebody in the room going, "All right, January first, here's what's happening"? You know what I mean? I just, I can't, I just can't believe it. It's so, it's so bad. And we really got to be careful where the game's going because it's becoming less and less of a contact sport. Yeah, it's, it's a mess and a bit of a sour. Just note to end on there, because um, of everything that's been affected since VR has seemingly been brought in, um, it seems to have just been getting worse and worse year on year. Um, but that is going to do it for this uh, week's episode. Uh, next week is when the fun really begins. We're going to be in the away end. Or first, we're going to be in Germany, in Cologne, to see, or in Leverkusen, to see probably the, one of the most informed teams in the world right now, Bayer Leverkusen against Gladbach. And then a couple of midweek games in the away end at Fulham uh, for the Everton-Fulham game. And then a trip to the London Stadium for West Ham Bournemouth. So keep an eye on the TikTok. We've been doing some match day experiences. We're going to keep those up. Um, so, so stay tuned. If you like the scenes, 
follow the inswinger on tiktok because we were in prague for sparta prague copenhagen we're going to germany uh we're obviously going to west ham and everton as well so keep an eye on on the social media We've got lots of uh you know lots of fun content coming out some good uh some good views from the stands yeah all right thanks for listening we'll see you next time